Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Tuesday means that it is scan all day and there is plenty to hear from the weekend. Hey everybody, welcome into NASCAR America presented by Mobile One, Carol Lamano and a pair of crew chiefs in Slugger Lavi and Steve Letard alongside as well. Clint Boyer revealing his Darlington paint scheme today. He is going to be on the show along with the NASCAR Hall of Famer that he is honoring that weekend, Mark Martin. But we're going to start with the big news of the day and that is Brad Kozlowski. Staying with Team Penske, the 2012 Cup Series champion has reached an agreement with the team to stay with the organization as the driver of the number two Ford. And the organization also announced a contact extension with his crew chief, Paul Wolf. So this Kozlowski news is really the third shoe to drop in NASCAR silly season. It all began when Joe Gibbs Racing announced that Eric Jones would take over the reins of the number 20 Toyota from Matt Kenseth. And then that was followed by last week's news of Alex Bowman succeeding Dale Earnhardt Jr. in the 88 Chevy. And now we know that Brad Kozlowski is staying put. Is this the right fit for both sides, Steve, that he's staying right where he is? Yeah, I think I was the only one that didn't consider this big news because I just assumed it would happen. And I assumed that because Paul Wolf, Brad Kozlowski, and Team Penske have been a great combination for really all of their careers. Brad has only driven at the cup level for Roger Penske. Paul and Brad, Slugger, you've raced against them. Sure. I've raced against them. There's a tremendous amount of confidence to be courageous with their pit strategies, courageous with their setups. They're both unique type people, and they fit well together. So I guess in my mind, this news was already announced, although today it became official. I think it's great. You know, he's won 51 races for Team Penske, but I've got to sit there and wonder what is the next domino to fall? Who's the next or organization to make a decision? Is it Stuart Haas with the 10 and the 41? Uh, it's going to be exciting times here next week, but who is going to make the next decision, Carolyn? We'll look at all those options in just a second, but you know better than anyone, both of you, that this is a business and this game is all about leverage. So when the Alex Bowman news drops that he's going to be in the 88, all of a sudden you have a big piece of the puzzle that went away. Do you think that that affects everything, including Brad Keselowski's <laughs> leverage to maybe just try to work within the company if his intention was to stay there all along? Well, absolutely. I mean, everyone in the world that has a job knows the only way or the best way to get a raise at your job is to have someone else come knocking at the door to want to be wanted for another company. So I think you have to go all the way back to Matt Kenseth. He goes out in the media and says, I'm out. I'm not coming back to the 20 next week or excuse me, next year. Well, every, that stirred everybody up, but very quickly, Joe Gibbs Racing filled it, said Eric Jones is in. Well, that took away an option. But then Brad always had that opportunity to at least, even if it was just a public perception, and there was never a private conversation, the perception was he had a chance at that 88. I'm sure that helped his agent in the discussions with Team Penske. Rick Hendrick filled that seat very quickly a week sure. ago, so it didn't shock me that it only took a week for the deal to finally be signed for Brad. All right, so let's look at some of the seats that are open as well, because this was something that you touched on, Slugger, and now we can really see. You mentioned Casey Kane. There's been a lot of discussion about him, and, of course, Matt Kenseth. And if you look at Stuart Haas racing there in the middle of your screen, you see Kurt Busch and Danica Patrick, who we haven't really 
talked a lot about. But what does this tell you, Slugger, about what the future of this silly season is going to look like? Well, there's a lot going on, and unfortunately, it's a, it's a trying time for the drivers and their agents because they need to focus on racing every week, let alone where they're going to be racing in 2018. But there's a lot of decisions need to be made. But who's going to be the next one? I think it needs to be Stuart Haas. And also, Mr. Penske still got some work to do with uh, the 21 of De uh, Brian Blaney, what he's going to do. And also, uh, Rick Hendricks still got a little more work to do with the five car, if you believe the speculation, Steve. Well, you talk about Stuart Haas being first. I actually think it's the five car. I think Casey Kane's win at the Brickyard put the focus back on the five because all the questions that sure. were asked about the future of the five, I didn't hear any resounding, oh, yes, Casey Kane's going to drive it. And now, he didn't say he wouldn't. If you had that deal signed up, Carolyn, that was the time. That was the time after the biggest win of this young man's career to say, you know what, he's coming back, he's my driver. We didn't hear that. So I think that's only going to make the rumors very loud in the garage area. And I think with Matt Kenseth not knowing where he's going, Kurt Busch's deal unsigned, William Byron continues to win on a Saturdays. So I think there's a lot of names that have Rick Hendrick's cell phone number, and I'm sure there's a lot of calls <laughs> being made. You know him better than anybody, and you know the organization. So you're saying read between the tea leaves here that just because a big win in the Brickyard came at a very interesting time in all of this, it's not necessarily an indication of the business of it all. Well, if he was coming back, we would have heard it. That, that's my opinion. If, think. If, if he was ever going to announce it and try to gain a little momentum for the business, a little momentum to sell that five car with Casey Kane, yeah. what better place than victory lane? Yeah. We didn't hear that. So that tells me that it's undecided. But the truth is, I do know Hendrick Motorsports. We could talk about a lot of people. There's one guy that's going to make that decision, and his name is on the building. What about Ryan Blaney? You mentioned Ryan Blaney. How, how does this shape up for him, all these decisions that are being made and the decision with the two? Well, there's certainly a lot of talk about Ryan Blaney going over to Penske and being the third car, number 12 is what they're saying. But, you know, it's all speculation. But, you know, you can't build on speculation, but you can just assume what's going to happen. And you got other drivers as well. Paul Menard, what's he going to do? Eric Amarola, uh, Bubba Wallace, Steve. There, there's plenty of drivers looking for work. I think the bigger question I have for Ryan Blaney is a move to Penske and improvement. While I know they support the Wood Brothers, we are starting to see these satellite teams find a tremendous amount of success. The 78 is doing it in Colorado with Joe Gibbs Racing information. We see the 21 doing it. Ryan Blaney getting his win at Pocono where we're going back to this weekend with Penske information. So is the fit better at that small race team? So while we all think Penske is the end goal, I can't wait for this weekend. That's going to be a question. That's I'm going right. to sit down and ask Ryan Blaney. Point well, back, just quickly, where especially be? when you consider the production lately from Penske, why do you think some of these satellite organizations like Martin Truex Jr. going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Kyle Busch this past weekend at the Brickyard have been having the success that they've been having when the bigger overarching organization has struggled at times like JGR and Penske? Well, so Slugger and I have both been at either end of that. At Hedger Motorsports, that company provided that information to Stuart Haas when I was a crew chief there, and they started with the best stuff that we had in try to improve on it. You've seen that multiple times, sure. how that smaller team actually has a little head start. Well, the good thing is, is like, like Furniture Row, we've talked about it before. If they have a problem with a Joe Gibbs part, they simply hand it back to Joe Gibbs, and they worry about putting speed in their race car. They're not problem solvers. They're racers that put speed in their car, pay attention to detail, and do all the aero upgrades every week that the, the team's find. So it's strength in numbers, but when you're a smaller team, you get to pay attention to detail. Yeah, it's like anything, Carolyn. It changes over time. It went from a single-car team to the powerhouse team, Seems like it's going back to being yeah. light and lean. Small teams can move directions much quicker than a big organization. Might be something Ryan Blaney's considering. While we wait to see what happens with Casey Kane, we do know that his win this weekend at Indy really tightened the playoff picture quite a bit. Coming up next, we're going to take a closer look at which drivers on the bubble have the most to be worried about. That's when we come back.
NASCAR America is brought to you by new Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for one full year. Welcome back, everybody. So look at the playoff standings here. Casey Kane's win on Sunday impacted those drivers who were on the playoff bubble with just six races left in the regular season. There are only four spots now up for grabs, and some big-name drivers may not be racing for a championship this fall. To break it all down, let's go over to Steven Slugger. You're absolutely right, Carolyn. When we look at the playoff standings, there are 12 names in yellow. That is making it very stressful for the next six weeks in the playoff run. But I don't think it's worth talking about those 12. They are advanced. They're feeling good. I think it's from Austin Dillon down, Kyle Busch, the the guys in the white, they don't have a win. So if we zoom in a little bit more and we look 13th to 18th slugger, I think this is the whole playoff picture. Absolutely. Uh, Kyle Busch, I believe he's a lock-in. What do you think, Steve? Well, I agree. I think Kyle Busch, while he did lose 38 points at Indianapolis, I'm not sure he's concerned about points. My first car of any sort of concern is Jamie McMurray. Gave up 34 points just last week in India as we look at the upcoming tracks. A lot of zeros in the win column. And more concerning, the average finishes all very high outside the top 15. I don't see a track here that jumps out at me, Slugger, as a that's going to guarantee Jamie Murray a win and in the playoffs. My concern for this team is Pocono, where we're going this weekend, had a huge break failure, finished 39th, cost him a lot of points as well. So if we go back to the list and we take Jamie McMurray down, we're going to go back to the playoff picture. And from down below Jamie McMurray, Chase Elliott, 115 points, 60 points he gave up at Indianapolis alone. And this young man, I do have a little bit of concern about. Well, I don't, Steve. He's got six top tens, 11, uh, I'm sorry, six top fives and 11 top tens, one pole. He has a lot of speed. The thing I'm looking forward to is Michigan, Stevie. The last three races, he has finished second. Couple restart issues. Hopefully, he gets them worked out. I think he can get it done. It's going to really come down to me on how this young man responds from an engine failure first ever in his cup career. How is he going to deal with those emotions? But below Chase Elliott, now we start talking some big, big names in the sport. The 20 of Matt Kenseth, a former champion. Right there on the cut line was 52 ahead, now only 33 ahead. The advantage for Matt Kenseth is when you look at the upcoming tracks. Sir, a lot changed for this team in Kentucky when Matt said he wasn't coming back to Joe Gibbs Racing, and he did, his future is unknown. Uh, they had a good finish uh, last week at Indianapolis, finished fifth. Uh, if you go back to New Hampshire, he had a car that should have won the race. A pit call by Jason Radcliffe got two tires instead of four, like everyone else did. Cost that team a potential win. But Matt does have some wins at some tracks coming up. He will be strong at Bristol, Stevie. And today, um, I think he's one of the drivers that tested at, at Dover, a track similar to, to Bristol. Well, I think you're polite when you say some wins, because when I look at all these players down around the cut line, Matt Kenseth is a driver I think will win. I think he will win in the next five or six races, guaranteeing we're going to look at this playoff picture. His name will be in yellow before we get to the cut race at Richmond. That takes us to the two drivers that are currently out. Whew. It starts with Clint Boyer in the 14, who had, without a doubt, the roughest day at Indianapolis points-wise. He went from 54 ahead to 33 behind. That's a move of 87 points. Clint Boyer... It's very simple in my mind. It comes to Richmond. I don't see Clint Boyer making it in on points. I don't think Pocono, Watkins Glen, Michigan, a bunch of average finishes over 15. I think it's Richmond and those two wins slugger. That is the key for this 14 car to make the playoffs. Yeah, one of those wins at Richmond was on fuel miles with Brian Patty make a, make a heck of a call. But for this team to win, Steve, it's going to come down to strategy. Track like Pocono, Watkins Glen, and potentially Richmond. Well, my big issue with the 14 is this is his first year. His first year at SHR, it should be the honeymoon. Yeah, right. He should be feeling great about this. But yet, when I listen to him on a radio, animated, emotional, and not in a good way. So can they put that all together and get the win? And there's no bigger story, no more drama filled than Joey Logano. While he didn't lose much this week in Indy, if you go back and think he won a race, 
That race doesn't count. They have been on the hangover of a lifetime since then. He has a lot of wins, but I'm not sure the 22 will be in the playoffs. Well, big announcement today at Penske Racing, but unfortunately, it doesn't put speed in their race car, Steve, and that's what they're lacking. Uh, they haven't really got a hold of this downforce package that we got this year, and they're really, really struggling. He does have some wins. What's his best track? I would have to say Bristol. Him and Matt Kenseth will be duking it out for the victory. The question is, what has been lacking? They won at Richmond, but since Richmond, they have not had speed. Do you think it's purely emotional, or do you think they truly did lose something in their race cars over at the Tech Center? Well, I've been to the Tech Center a bunch just like you, <laughs> and, and I've never had them come out and say, hey, you want to try doing this to your race cars. They've always taken something away. But you go back to New Hampshire, they lost 45 points when they had a truck arm failure. That area of the truck arm is where speed is achieved, as you know, Steve, as a crew chief, and they simply had a part failure, and that cost them a lot of points and really knocked them to where they are today. So if we go back to that playoff picture, Carolyn, it's very simple. It started in February. The goal for all of these drivers was to have their name in yellow well before now. No <laughs> one wants to be on this board here. This means there are no guarantees. With a variety of racetracks coming up, Kyle Busch cannot seem to find Victor Lane, even with the fastest race cars. There are no guarantees. All of these drivers, no one's looking for points. They're all looking for wins. Yeah, and it's anybody's guess how that's going to shake out with those last couple spots up for grabs. But playoffs aside... Sunday's Brickyard 400 absolutely filled with moments that fans are going to be talking about for a very long time. We're going to relive some of the best with today's edition of Scandal Indianapolis. Welcome back, everybody. Casey Kane ended a winless streak of 102 races Sunday at the Brickyard, and Kane is just the latest driver to end a lengthy string of races without a victory. Ryan Newman, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Ryan Blaney, all ending winless streaks for either themselves or the team that they race with this season, and Kane ended his drought by outlasting the field at Indy. There were seven cautions in the final stage alone, and 23 of the 40 cars overall were involved in accidents. So let's relive a wild day that turned into night with Scan All Indy. The NASCAR community rolls onto the hallowed grounds of Indianapolis Motor Speedway to do battle in the Brickyard 400. Have a good day, guys. Stay focused, positive. Uh, get all we can here. Have some fun. Oh, man, Indianapolis is, is where I first came when I, when I left Washington. The first time I came to the Speedway was 1999, and I've wanted, dreamed of racing here, winning here. Uh, ever since. We are ready to go in Indianapolis. Fans are on their feet. All right, bud. Pace car is in. Ready. Green, green, green. The annual Brickyard 400 is green. 1.9 the Truex. Car is pretty good here. Kyle Busch continues to dominate. Got a problem like I'm out of gas. Yeah, man, I think it's down a cylinder, man. Oh, the Napa Chevrolet has gone up in smoke. Yep, slowed up, sir. Shuffle. All stacked up, two by two. The 88 nailed me and knocked me into the one. Radiator out of the grape. Yep, tap bar, correct. Dale Jr. slams up in the ass. We're going to take the outside here. Kyle Busch has chosen the outside line for the restart. Well, I feel like they've been working together. We'll do the same thing this time, Mark. Tip four, yeah. Yeah, he said do it again. Jimmy Johnson's going to throw a big block on Kyle Larson. Boy, I'll tell you what, Jimmy Johnson cut him off. 48 really blocked us going down the back there, all the way to the grass. Yeah, because he hates us. 48 can't handle it. All right, but man, that didn't work out. The 18 has swept the first two stages. Going on your bumper, looking in, looking in. He's there, middle, middle. Three wide, three wide, you're on the outside. 
Yellow's out, yellow's out. They look like two guys that were a little upset with each other. Just dropped in there on you, dove in there. You know what you're dealing with with that cat right there. The 41 is melting down right now. Hey, He's clapping in there. I can see Kurt clapping. <laughs> do we do the switcheroo here or do we battle it out? You're in the position to make that call. It's up to you. With 56 to go, I don't know that I'm playing those games anymore. I don't mind working with my teammate, but at some point the race is about winning it and winning it for me and my team, so it's time to get selfish. I think we need to race them. You on board with that, Adam? Absolutely. He wants to race us on these restarts, so I don't understand that. I don't see how it's going to change it, but we'll do whatever. Okie dokie. I think he can stay even and get on her door or something, I don't know. It's fine all day when it was the other way, I guess. Yep, copy that. Here we go, green is on you. You know, there's no more playing, it's time to go. If I'm Kyle Busch, I'm contesting this spot. Oh, Kyle Busch slides and does the 78. They both go up into the wall through turn one. Ah, uh, you're right, lock her down. Holy That's wild. Yeah, no doubt. Keep freaking wiping each other out there. We lost it, correct him. They're on fire here, stop, stop. That's the first time they raced on a restart. Don't see that every day. That'll make for a fun Tuesday. The two best cars are gone. Who is going to grab this opportunity and leave with a Brickyard 400 trophy? You know, from that point on, we were just trying to, to move up slowly because our track position wasn't that great. We were 11th to 14th, it seemed like. It was tough, but Keith uh, Rodden made a great call on the strategy, and it, it played out perfect. We know that Keselowski, Jimmy Johnson, and Casey Kane will have to come to pit road. There's no way they can stretch it 58 laps. Casey Kane, he is in for his final pit stop. and Jimmy Johnson and they hadn't pitted so it put me in front of them. We beat the leader out, correct? Yes, I believe we did. We should be okay here. We're on the lead lap. We should be the leader when everybody pits. And from that point on, we just, we battled on restarts. The five wiggles, up the racetrack he goes, but he stays straight. Here comes the 48 to the inside. I was sideways up to his door on the exit of two, and Jimmy got the run from behind because he had that gap and, and was able to make a clean corner. We end up three wide down the backstretch, and at that point in time, nobody's gonna give up getting to turn three, so we all went for it. Somebody's not coming out of that corner. Around goes the 48. Here, take it, all clear, take it. Check my left side damage here. Check my left side. You right, buddy? Damn it, we had the thing. You just stuck her three wide middle, and Indian didn't live, so we just need that mentality one more time here. So I don't know how we made it through there, but we came out in the lead. Love being on the outside of Trevor Bay. Green flag back in the air. Constant's gonna come out. They're wrecking behind him. So we didn't even get to turn one. We're in it. Get your uh, wheel in the right direction. No, it's not even close. At uh, 9 o'clock. What happened? Six cars. So glad when that company is out of money. He is awful. Double stay in there, because if you get out, you can't go. Damn it. They made him get out. They made him get out. He didn't want to. He pissed off. They shouldn't have made him get out if that thing will still run. It'll run out of daylight here in about 20 minutes. Does Menard sell oil dry? Because he's be making some money today. Two laps to decide who will win the Brickyard 400. Get you a good start here. Get that clean air and shut down. Green flag back in the air. Overtime. 
I thought I would just go as hard as I could. I knew if I wasn't leading off turn two, I probably wasn't going to win the, the race. And for whatever reason, it all just kind of came to plan. Had a, had a really good acceleration, good restart. He went just a tick before me, but I was able to stick with him and stay up against him and then get some separation when we got to turn one. Great restart for the five of Casey Kane. Can he hold it on the bottom of the track? Kane gets by him. And the 11 goes around. They wreck behind him. Did they get to the overtime line? They haven't got there yet. Has the caution come out yet? Keep coming here. They haven't said caution. The lights are on. Keep coming. Wreck behind you. We should be past the overtime line. Just keep coming. You got it, guys. Four guys, be ready to fix it here. Gonna got your right front damage. Get anything clear we can. Stop. Let me talk. Did it make the overtime line or not? Extremely important to know that right now. They did make it. They did make it. Thank you. I'm not going to pit. I'm going to finish the race then. Caution's out. Overtime finish. Uh, uh, I don't know. I thought I hit it right. I guess I did. I appreciate the effort today. Driver, you all right? Because you get back here, you're going to be the winner of the Brickyard 400. That last lap, we took the white flag and we were going slow around. And I wasn't going to get excited. I wasn't going to do anything. I was actually emotional in the car and was just thinking, like, don't do anything until this car makes it to the finish line, because who knows what could happen. Casey Kane will win the Brickyard 400 on a great restart. That's how you do it, baby. Yeah! Yeah! Way to go, guys. Way to go. Oh, my God. Who would have thought? Unbelievable. We did it, buddy. I'm so proud of you. So, so proud of everybody on this team. I want to see the best burnout ever. I mean, I'm going to treasure this forever. I mean, it was uh, it's a race I'll never forget. It definitely shows that I want it, that I, that I love racing, and I want to win, and I'll do whatever it takes. So, yeah, I definitely still really enjoy what, I'm, what I get to do every week. Powerful message there from Casey Kane serving notice to everybody that he still has what it takes and wants to be in it. But the three of us held our collective breath over the skin, all three <laughs> wide into turn three, and you heard Jimmy Johnson say he thought he had it. Yeah, Carolyn, I've been going to Indianapolis for basically all the races I've had there since 95 I started going. I missed the inaugural one, and never have I seen a move of that aggressiveness, that much conviction. We see some great two-wide battles, but never three-wide. And I love the fact that Jimmy Johnson had a move on his teammate of the five, Casey Kane. He didn't know he was a teammate. He didn't care he was a teammate. He drove into turn three, three-wide, engine smoking to win the Brickyard 400. That is what I love best about watching the seven-time champ race is it's, uh, you know, everything goes to win a race. My favorite part of Scandal was what Matt Kenseth said. He wanted to wait till Tuesday, today, the competition <laughs> meeting. I like to be a fly on the wall and, and, and hear what they talked about. I don't miss those meetings. I used to be in them every Monday, and th those meetings are no fun, especially when you have a bad weekend. The truth is, Carolyn, we just both like hearing Scandal because those drivers aren't yelling at us anymore. That's right, that's right. <laughs> so. But you mentioned teammates. That's the important part is, like, that's what fans don't want. They want to root for their particular driver regardless of the umbrella of the organization, right? Yeah, and I hated to see what happened to the 78 and the 18 because they were very good race cars, but – I hated the first five or six restarts of that race. I don't like those games being played, allowing your so-called corporate teammate in. Fans pay to come watch races. I want to see races for the entirety, just not in the second half. Something that occurred to Slugger and me when we were watching right before Victory Lap on Sunday, we were watching the broadcast, that video that we have of Kurt Busch with the helmet cam that is so great because it shows you inside the race car right here. When that contact occurred that sent chills down Jeff Burton's spine, we could hear it oh. in the booth. And I know you were there. That was tough to listen to Jeff reliving an experience like that. But Slugger, you pointed out, and it was interesting to me, that the steering wheel 
came all the way up upon impact. Why did that happen? Well, it happens quick, Slugger. So I think the first thing we want to do is have the fan at home kind of reference the top of the steering wheel relative to this white gauge right here. It's about the middle of the dash. So as this rolls forward, Slugger, it moves tremendously on impact. Well, it uh, is designed to do that. NASCAR, they come up with some great innovations to keep these drivers safe, and a lot of work was done. This is a new rule. If you look at where the top of the steering wheel is now, it was down here earlier. Now it's up here. It, it moved about five, six inches, Steve, but it was designed to do that. And you got to give credit to the NASCAR and D-Center. This winter, uh, they come up with a new rule of exactly how to mount the steering column in the car so when you do have an impact, it only goes forward and up and not back towards the driver. So they do a lot of testing. A lot of race teams donate race cars to NASCAR and they take them to the University of Nebraska and they do a bunch of testing with these cars. They run them into walls with, with dummies in the cars to see where the body parts move and where all the parts of the race cars move. So, you know, the team's giving back for safety. NASCAR, the R&D Center, they've done a lot over the years to keep these drivers safe, and that's another great innovation. And what a shot, Carolyn, off that oh. helmet. Yeah, the helmet Jeff Burton, I thought, was coming out of the booth. I know. The helmet cam is great, but basically what that does is ensure that a driver's not going to get maimed by a steering wheel or that, something like that, right? Exactly I mean, that's right. what we think about as regular people, a car accident and an impact of the wheel. There are no airbags. You right. know, in your streetcar at home, the airbag comes out, and you hit the airbag. There are no airbags in a race car, so you don't want to hit the steering wheel. This gets the steering wheel out of the way. But really, I think the biggest fear to any race car driver isn't the steering wheel. It's fire. And at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, we saw multiple accidents, which seemed relatively calm, end up in fire. No bigger one than Martin Truex Jr. So he's already hit the wall, and he's on fire here, Slugger. Yeah, he hit the wall a second time, actually, because he ran out of brakes. He, uh, when he hit the wall earlier, the brake rotor broke, caught on fire. And what you see here, Steve, the car is on fire, and it simply went out. Well, what happened, Stevie, is the lower radiator hose was so hot that it melted, and all the pressure from the, the radiator put the fire out. Teams are required to have fire suppression system inside the car and in the fuel cell area, but nothing on the firewall forward. So the radiator hose melted, put the fire out. It's like a, a, a built-in fire extinguisher you didn't <laughs> know you had. But what I love to see was how easily Martin Trix Jr. get out of the car. My fear is always they have air conditioning on the helmet, they have a radio plugged in. There's a lot of things that can tangle a driver up. So I always love to see a driver that gets out with no issue. That reminds me that the teams are doing a good job of building the cars correctly, but also forcing their drivers to practice that. Drivers need to practice getting in and out in a hurry. Yeah. It looked like a, swip, a switch was flipped. I mean, that's how quickly <laughs> it all went out. It, and, and we've seen other examples of fire as well. Like here's a couple, here's one from Pocono. Walk us through this one and just kind of explain what we're looking at. Hey, what happened here, Jay McMurray, at the same time as the 48, lost the right rear brake caliper. The, the, the pistons uh, come out of the caliper. He lost no brakes. And obviously another fire under the hood area, Stevie. No fire suppression system. And all of a sudden you'll see the hood blow up. And that's when the lower radiator hose is melted by the fire, as you saw right there. And it simply puts the fire out. It's not intended to do that. But it happens when things get really, really extremely hot under the hoods. It really comes down to fluids. Normally when you see a fire in a race car and it's in front of the driver, it's either brake fluid or it's oil or something in the engine compartment, the ones in the trunk. That's where they keep the fuel cell is behind the driver. So maybe a rear impact, you see some fire there. But normally it's a fluid that catches on fire. The drivers all luckily, though, got out on unharmed and just, fast just yeah, quickly do, fast. just very quickly do drivers uh practice this sort of thing as crew chiefs would you require a driver to kind of learn how to escape so my biggest concern isn't getting out the driver's side because they do that all the time in practice it's the right side window is removable but as you put these headrests in and all this other stuff to protect them in an impact 
If they ever were on fire and driver's side against the wall, they have to climb through the car and get out the right side window. So a couple times a year, I always had to force my drivers to do it. And I'm going to tell you, you have to force them yeah. because it is it's not, not fun no. to climb over the shifter handle and around the seat. They get bruised up just trying. Yeah. They always assure me that, hey, if this was on fire, I could get out. Yeah. I always come back, well, let's just prove it. Let's just make sure I climb out one time for me. <laughs> well, it, it, like it is embarrassing, though, because they do it in front of a bunch of people watching in right. the shop. But in you real life, your adrenaline flow and they want out. Get stuck in the car. It's not your best look. All right, coming up. Clint Boyer uh, getting into throwback mode. We're going to hear from him and the driver that he's going to pay homage to in this year's Southern 500 at Darlington and show you the paint scheme. That's next on NASCAR America. Formula One is here on NBCSN. A record five wins in Budapest. Not enough for Lewis Hamilton. See if he makes it six in the Hungarian Grand Prix. That's Sunday morning at 7.30 Eastern on NBCSN. And earlier today at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Juan Pablo Montoya and Oriol Servia became the first drivers to test Indy cars outfitted with a universal aero kit that's scheduled to be used in 2018. So the cars are going to undergo further testing at Mid-Ohio, Iowa, and Sebring, and the teams are expected to receive their aero kits in November, allowing them ample time to prepare their cars for private testing, which starts in January. But earlier today at the NASCAR Hall of Fame, Clint Boyer revealed his throwback paint scheme for Darlington, and it pays tribute to Mark Martin's Xfinity Series ride, which he drove from 1988 to 91, and Marty Snyder was there for the big reveal, along with Clint Boyer and Mark Martin. Carolyn, certainly fun to see these unveilings for the Darlington race coming up. Boyer, how do you like your uh, your car for Darlington? It's awesome. The whole Darlington throwback deal is so much fun. We all look forward to that weekend, but it's time to, you know, think about that scheme. What are you yeah. going to do? Who do you want to honor? And for me, it was it's a given. You know, when Mark Martin was my teammate in 2012, it meant so much to me. I learned so much about the work ethic behind a driver and, and how to be as a person. And he's just the American dream, the American racer that grew up in the Midwest. West, kicking everybody's tail, um, <laughs> made a name for himself, made it to the to the elite of the Cup Series, became a legend, became a Hall of Famer, and um, that's why I wanted to honor him with his Carolina Ford dealer's car. It's way cool. The other cool thing about it is it's exactly the way his yeah, car looked exactly. in 1989. Yeah. Usually people get to do the paint schemes and the sponsors offer something. That is exactly like it. Well, that's a lot of yeah. praise for you, Mark, but I, I think you said something cool. You're a Hall of Famer, but you said it's an honor when you get called to have your paint scheme chosen for a Darlington race. Well, what everybody, you know, really likes to see is is that they're remembered. Yeah. You know, I was asked a lot of times during my career, how do you want to be remembered? And I was just like, Man, I just want to be remembered, you know. <laughs> but this is perfect. Clint is perfect. Throwback driver mm. for a throwback scheme. And this brings so much memories back to me. Actually, the Carolina Ford Dealers was the first sponsor I had that really oh. did television and radio commercials. And I got a lot of experience doing that with them. And we had some really good times. Uh, had some cool, cool races but when i look at the car i look at the i i, I vision the chassis that's supposed to be underneath it and boy uh it would clint be in trouble if yeah. that thing was really there it'd be a little bit different wouldn't it clint i don't think that setup would work would Most it people call those dinosaurs <laughs> well let's talk about let's talk about your indianapolis race are you okay that was a that was a vicious looking hit but you said it didn't feel like it was that bad well i think 
mean, this is the Hall of Fame, right? You are Marty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. good. Right. Uh, it was wild deal. You hate to wreck like that. Um, such an important race for us. You know, you're you're just clawing to try to make a part of that chase. But that's not how I want to make it. I want to I want to win a race. I said from day one, starting this year out, we need to win a race. I need to get established back as a winner in this sport, and it's that way today. Mm-hmm. Um, we no longer, you know, for the last couple of months, you've been racing, looking over your shoulder, worried about those points. You know, you're just protecting everything that you do, every yeah. move that you do. Now let's let's go back to try to focus on winning races, and and uh, I look forward to Pocono. I look forward to going some of these tracks for the second time having that notebook now established with Booga and I in the communication everybody knows so important so um, we got seven races left it's a lot of racing yeah. and a lot can happen well with Casey winning it changes the landscape a little bit now you're on the outside looking in and you, you really said after snowmobile we have to win now is it a must win situation in these final six races of the regular season well I mean when you look at it no it's not there's still you know capabilities of, of being able to 24 car had trouble last weekend the one car hasn't won um, there's cars that haven't won that you could possibly race and, and, and beat out of that deal. But like I said, I started out this season needing a win, right. and I still think that way today. All right, let's talk about the restarts and how crazy they were at Indianapolis. And I, and I know Jimmy made a reference to Mark Martin after the race and said, I don't think Mark would love racing in this era. They were insane, weren't they? They were wild. But, I mean, it's just that sense of urgency is there because once you get sorted out for those first two or three laps, once you get by that, you you really passing was, was uh, at a minimum. So um, you got to go for it. You do it. You do those blocks and things like that out of, of you know, necessity. But they, they work. Yeah. You know, until they don't, you know, and, and that's <laughs> yeah. the, the hardest thing about it is people are like, why did you block? Well, I blocked because I had to. And by the way, it worked. Yeah. And then uh, you're sitting in the infield care center going, really wish you wouldn't have done that. Yeah, yeah. But it's just the way the way our sport is right now. Um, those points and those positions are so important to get established up there in that clean air. Um, it's aggressive. And, and uh, I, I think they can thank me a little bit, uh-huh. you know, without stacking them all up and all that. I don't know if all those costumes would have come out. I need something out of the deal because that sucked. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't very good for you. So I'll ask you about what Jimmy said when he said post-race. I don't think Mark Martin would like racing in this era very much. Are you watching those races saying, I'm thankful I'm sitting on the couch? Absolutely. <laughs> he said, I'd have a heart attack if I was out there with him. And I said, I, I'm having a heart attack watching it from the couch, right, much right. less being a part of it. Yeah, it's crazy, uh, insane, the intensity on these restarts. You know, it really started back when they started doubling them up mm-hmm. and it has just gotten it's gotten more intense all every year ever since they started the double file restarts and uh it's some it's some crazy stuff but uh it was a it was a it was a great race um and i love racing I, I keep up with all of them i watch them all or dvr them or mm-hmm. at, at, at bare minimum i watch on twitter i gotta know what's <laughs> going on i love i mean i'm as big a race fan as as anybody hey boyer i say we start a campaign let's Let's get, let's get him in the in the car for just a couple laps at Darlington for the, some practice laps. What do you think? Well, Put Mark in the car. If you've really seen my track record at Darlington, <laughs> but there's two purposes Mark Martin's there. This. Oh, <laughs> you didn't know you were being volunteered to get in the car, did you? Oh man, I'm not getting in that car. I'm not uh, getting in it with him driving it, and I'm not gonna. Dr- <laughs> and I'm and I'm not gonna drive it. So it's not gonna happen. Give me some pointers, and you can bet your butt I'll be listening. All right, there you go. So he won't get in the car, but I I agree with that. I wouldn't get in with Boyer either. Good call there, Mark. 
Marty, thank you. We would love to see Mark Martin get behind the wheel. And I think Casey Kane is Clint Boyer of Fruit Basket. That's what I took from that. Uh, tomorrow at the Hall of Fame, we're going to be joined live by Xfinity Series champion, current Monster Energy Series rookie Daniel Suarez. And we'll ask Suarez about his racing roots in NASCAR and a whole lot of other things. We're looking forward to that. Suarez, one of a lot of drivers that's helping to usher in a new generation of fans. And starting this weekend, NASCAR is continuing that initiative with Kids Drive NASCAR. So kids attending NASCAR races are going to take part in Kids versus Driver Challenges with Kyle Busch helping to kick things off today. Kids also going to have the chance to attend driver crew chief meetings, autograph sessions, and also get a special behind-the-scenes tour of the garage. Pretty great. Head to accelerationnation.com if you want more info on that. Coming up, we're going to take a look back at some of the unexpected moments from the Brickyard. And one driver posed an interesting question online and proved some numbers to back it up. Are drivers athletes? We'll discuss whether or not that's true next. NASCAR America is brought to you by new Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for one full year. Well, if you aren't already, make sure you check out Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. It's Channel 90, everything NASCAR. And every single Wednesday, one of our NBC NASCAR personalities is going to join the morning drive. Tomorrow at 9 a.m., you will be treated to the sounds of Kyle Petty. He's a special guest, so you know it's going to be a very special, special segment. Make sure you check it out at 9 a.m. A big, big win for Casey Kane. He wins the Brickyard 400. And there's the celebration. Johnny Roberts, rear tire changer on the five. Started off with a solid day. Basically nothing special. Just end up getting lucky and getting out front and was able to pop off the first one of the year. And really exciting. My wife's back at home right now. She's actually heading to the hospital. She's getting induced. So I got to try to get back as soon as I can. Maybe have a baby tomorrow and be a first-time father. This is a good way to top it off. Yes, and congratulations to rear tire changer Johnny Roberts for not only the win, but becoming a dad last night, a little baby boy. Congratulations also in order for Keith Rodden, who recorded his first-ever Monster Energy Series victory as a crew chief on Sunday. All right, let's take a social pit stop now. We're going to start with Kyle Busch's response to a fan trolling him on Twitter. So here's what the fan said. Obviously, Kyle Busch hasn't yet congratulated Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Ryan Blaney, Austin Dillon on their first wins. Karma, hashtag anybody but Bush. And then Kyle Bush says, all right, troll, that's enough. I did congratulate those guys. Just because it wasn't on social doesn't mean I didn't call or text. Hashtag loser. Well, then we got a tweet from Ricky Stenhouse Jr. saying, still waiting on mine. Just kidding with a thumbs up. And then Brad Kozlowski chiming in. Mine must have got lost in the mail a few years back. Love this next one from Landon Castle. We've made sure to mention every single last stop for Dale Earnhardt Jr. as a full-time Cup Series driver since he announced his retirement back in April. And here's Landon Castle. I am super honored to be here with Dale Jr. for what could possibly be his last Goodyear tire confirmation test for a fall race at Dover. And three-time NASCAR champ Tony Stewart picking up a sprint car win last night at Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway. Stewart is a guest on Nate Ryan's NASCAR on NBC podcast tomorrow, so you can hear more on how Smoke is enjoying his new life racing sprint cars and also driving his small team's souvenir T-shirt haulers in between races. So some good stories from Nate on the pod. Meanwhile, another driver that's making social media news is Jamie McMurray. So we brought in our resident driver slash social expert, Parker Kligerman, to explain. 
Right, Carolyn, and that was something that caught our eyes in social media, especially me being a driver, was Jay McMurray putting out this telemetry, Steve. And this telemetry right here is his assault on Mount Mitchell on a bike. I'm going to defer to you a little bit as a cyclist here, but the thing he circled, the heart rate. Average heart rate of 146, max of 168. Yeah, there's a lot of information, but to keep it simple, this is basically six hours on a bike, over 100 miles, and this right here is the elevation, climbing a mountain. 11,000 feet at the end. Exactly. He didn't even get to 160 beats per minute. That is a lot of energy on a bicycle, but that doesn't even compare to what he's done in a race car. So to prove the point, he went to Loudoun, three and a half hours in the car, but look at his heart rate, higher than it was on a bicycle. 144 average and 171 max. I can assure you that's probably on restarts right there at 171. That's when it's most intense as a driver. But the other thing he circled, the temperature. And this is, as a driver, we talk about so often, but what makes it so physically tough inside these race cars, and that is the heat. And right here we have an onboard right now of Ryan Reed this past weekend. 112 degrees. That's relatively cool in these race cars these days. We've seen upwards of 130 degrees in these race cars. And as a driver, I can tell you, there's nothing quite that mentally prepares you for this. You have to experience it and then start to understand how it affects your body, what you need to do to your body to make it ready and be physically ready as well as mentally ready to be in these race cars. You see Casey Kane was completely... Uh, exhausted after the brickyard. Yeah, and he was the winner of the race. And it, when I was Jeff Gordon's crew chief, he actually would ask me every 15 or 20 laps, remind me over the radio to take some fluids in. Now, they have a system where they can drink now under green. It feeds right into their helmet so they don't have to be distracted. But another issue I always wanted to know from a driver is as an athlete, you can stretch, you can move around. But being belted in, being restricted in that seat, if you do cramp, Parker, what options do you have? You can't really move or work to cramp out. There really isn't. And, you know, maybe under a caution, you can loosen your belts and move your body a little bit. But that's where the seat fit becomes so important. We talk a lot of times about making a driver comfortable. Well, it's because you want them to be comfortable over a long period of time, not only only to be relaxed and, that, and feel good, but for physically physical reasons, because you don't want to have cramps. You don't want to have parts that start to get uncomfortable because that's only going to get worse over the, all the hours you're in that race car. Caroline, I know all about that. Even the seat and how it fits its driver, that can affan or really affect how fast your race car is in the racetrack. Yeah, Steve, absolutely. Uh, some sad news to pass along now as we head to break. Mark Smith, the longtime engine builder and NASCAR team owner, passed away at his home Saturday following a lengthy battle with cancer. Back in 1989, Smith launched TriStar Motorsports, which currently fields teams in both the Monster Energy and Xfinity series. He's survived by his wife of 43 years, Kathy, and their three children. Mark Smith was 63 years old. This weekend, the race for the playoffs continues when the NASCAR Xfinity Series hits Iowa Speedway on Saturday at 3.30 Eastern over on NBC. And then on Sunday, the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series taking on the tricky triangle of Pocono. That's at 3 Eastern right here on NBCSN. That's coming up the spot for me. Get Mitchell or somebody up here. They, uh, they took my hard card. A sandwich fell off the roof, and they're mad at me. They, it was my sandwich. No, you can't have a sandwich fall off the roof. Everybody knows that. And, I mean, and they took his hard card. Hey, listen, you got to control your lunch, Rick. This wasn't something that we were expecting. Uh-oh. Somebody's lost their hat before the race started. We understand it came off of one of the fans that got to ride around in pre-race ceremonies. So you can see it flying off there. But I'm sure that Joey probably didn't even know he had a passenger there. And thankfully, it went away. I got run into from behind on our first pit stop. And... 
took out some of my guys, and that's that's probably the as a driver, that's the last thing you ever want to have happen. I'd rather wreck a thousand times myself than to hit any of these guys. And and then um, you know, right there, I got the right front outside the box, and um, it was all my fault. I, I took off. Luckily, the tire was still on there. So I mean, that's the plus. The unfortunate part is. Um, just to save the damage of what it could have done to the car. Had it come off, you know, that was the last thing we wanted was for the tire to come off of there. So, man, a terrible day for our Briar's Ice Cream Chevy. You had some pretty harsh criticism for Justin Allgaier after that moment. I'm just curious, sitting here with two crew chiefs, and Steve, I'll start with you, what you're thinking about as you watch that video. Well, it starts with hitting the crew member. I know Justin feels awful about that, but I agree with him. I watched the replay. Those are really completely separate incidents. He got hit from behind. Um, I'm sure he feels helpless inside the race car, and I think he tried to convey that by saying, listen, I'd rather crash a thousand times myself than to get hit because he knows he's protected in that race car, and while those crew members wear fire suits and helmets, it's simple physics. A 250-pound man is going to lose against a 3,500-pound race car every time. But then after that, when you talk about the mistake he made by getting on the line, I was very harsh because he had, was, he had done his job and put himself in position to win the Brickyard, an Xfinity car. And it's a mistake. We've seen drivers make it. It's not an unacceptable thing. It's nothing that we But then it started a calamity of errors, which started by not getting the car in the box, which is Justin Allgaier. Then I don't think the pit crew slugger executed, and then there was some communication to the crew chief, and it went downhill from there. Certainly, and, and the one thing that I didn't want to see happen was the right front tire fall off that car because it's a full-week suspension for the tire carrier and the tire changer of the front of that car, which so happens to be the same team that pitched Jimmy Johnson's car. So I'm not a fan of those cup guys pitting on Saturday. And I would have to think as we approach the playoffs, if teams are going to rethink if they're going to let their crew members pit on Saturday and after by, what we've seen. And by cup guys, you mean Kyle Tudor works for a seven-time champ, Jimmy Johnson, on Sunday in the cup series, and he was working, picking up extra work on Saturday. That's it. But, you know, listen, I had tough criticism, and I'll continue because – these drivers are the best in the world, and, and I got to work with two of them, Jeff Gordon and Dale Hart Jr., and I know how tough it is to win races, so I know they feel bad, but that doesn't mean I should sugarcoat it. The fans <laughs> want my opinion, so I get it, and sometimes it's a fastball down the middle. Well, the main thing, everyone was okay. That, that's what matters the most. Yeah, it is, and we always talk about whether drivers should double dip. Maybe we need to have a further conversation about how pickers should be affected in that as well. That's all for NASCAR America for now, but make sure you tune in tomorrow. Very special show. We're going to be joined by Xfinity Series champion, current Monster Energy Cup Series rookie Daniel Suarez. Those conversations on Wednesday have been fantastic, so make sure you're with us as we're live from the NASCAR Hall of Fame, and it all gets started at 5 p.m. We'll see you tomorrow. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.